Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Well, I think we're going to be talking about that one for quite some time. It was joy for Carlos, but dismay for Charles and Ferrari. Who even needs Wimbledon? The British summer of sport is complete. Mick scored a point. The British Grand Prix and it's lights out and away we go. Sainz gets away well, as does Lando Norris, and the red flag has now come out. There's the initial content. That's where the car then is upside down onto the gravel and then it flips. Basically, George was coming a little bit left and they pincered Gasly in the middle. The face of the tyre contact has just flipped the car completely over. What's going to happen second time around? Here is Silverstone, British Grand Prix, lights out, away we go. Sainz comes over to cover off Verstappen, almost pushing him into the pit wall. It's Carlos Sainz out in front, oh, down the contact. inside, Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez make contact. Carlos Sainz going off, Verstappen sees the error by Carlos Sainz and swoops into the lead. Verstappen's is very trouble. slow. Very Either he's slow. got off the track or he's got a problem with the car. Carlos Sainz letting Charles Leclerc pass. Yes, we do have a safety car. In comes Carlos Sainz. In comes Lewis Hamilton. Charles Leclerc stays out. As we get racing again, and Sergio Perez isn't far off Lewis Hamilton because he could make a charge. Oh, and off the track goes Charles Leclerc as Carlos Sainz retakes the lead. Through goes Hamilton. Unbelievable stuff. Coming out of the final corner, Perez and Leclerc going for it. Hamilton says thank you very much. Can he hold that position, though, going into Cobbs? They're going side by side, Leclerc and Hamilton. A front pole position is going to take victory. Carlos Sainz is victorious. That he did, that he did. Hello, I'm Shannon Mabry, your host of the Race Directors podcast, and I am joined by the soon-to-be blue-flagged backmarkers, F1 journalist Ed Spencer, serial podcaster Joe Spagnoli, and mysterious F1 Twitter menace, unpaid intern. So, gentlemen, as you might be able to tell from my voice, I have picked up a little bit of that Silverstone flu. I'm not feeling too hot, but I was at the race. It was my first ever Grand Prix experience. I am so, so, so excited about it. I'm still buzzing off the vibes, even though I am coughing and spluttering and sneezing. But the vibes were immaculate. The mood was on point and I had an amazing time. Mr. Ed Spencer, you were also there, our globe-trotting F1 journalist. It was just another day in the office for you, wasn't it? Not really. It was a, it was more of a wet day at the office. Um, but there's a, just a quick message to the people who run the catering at Monte Carlo. 
take note. Silverstone was stocked full of free food, drinks. It was d- delightful. And it was actually a more pleasant weekend than I expected. Week before Silverstone, I was dreading coming there. But afterwards, I fell head over heels. So good work from Silverstone. Nice week. Nice home Grand Prix weekend. And thankfully, Joe Guan Yu and Alex Albon survived, survived another day. Now, Mr. Intern, it is very, very, very good to have you back on the podcast after your period of paid interning. How are you feeling? Did you enjoy the race? Um, things have been fine. I'm very tired. I did watch the race and I did enjoy it. I watched it on Discord with my friends and we had a blast. Um, I don't know what to say, man. It's just very chaotic from start to finish. And Silverstone tends to go hard all the time, but this one was... This one was just different, man. This one went stupid. So I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I watched qualifying too. The whole weekend was great. And yeah, man, just just another chapter in this big old book of F1. Mr. Spagnoli, how did you enjoy the race? Obviously, you are in the UK, but you were not at the race like myself and Ed. You missed out on this one, I think. But did you have a good time? Initially, I was incredibly jealous uh, throughout the weekend and knowing that it was going to be good because it's the British Grand Prix. But I will confess to both Shannon and Ed, I was incredibly happy when I switched open my stream for qualifying and saw just how miserable and wet it was. And I got to experience some truly British schadenfreude at the conditions that both of you would have been experiencing. But I had a fantastic time. Channel 4's free-to-air coverage, which I think is only live for this Grand Prix, was amazing. I love Alex Jakes as a commentator. The angles, everything was great to watch. Looked like everyone was having fun. It's easily the biggest British sport event of the year. And as we'll get into that race, wow. I can't remember anything in the last at least two and a half years that was more entertaining than that. And I highly doubt any race this year can match what we got, even before the safety car. Never mind after it. Fantastic to watch from start to finish. I do think that this race is definitely going to be a contender for looking back with Ed in about 10 years time because it was drama from start to finish. And yes, it was very rainy on Saturday, Joe. You are right. It was a very soggy qualifying. Luckily, I was in a covered grandstand. I would have been miserable had I not been. But the weather on Sunday was fantastic. The race was iconic, I think, from start to finish. So much drama. So let's kick off. Let's start talking about our thoughts on the race. Let's start with the man who got his maiden Grand Prix win, Carlos Sainz. In turn, thoughts on Carlos Sainz' maiden win, his first Grand Prix win at Silverstone. What are you thinking? I don't know. I'm I'm conflicted because, like, yeah, Sainz won a race, but at the same time, it's like, uh, he barely did anything. It's so weird. <laughs> we were... We're talking about in a Twitter space. Like, I think I've ever seen somebody do so little and win. It's crazy to me because he he kind of frauded the pole because Max got held up. He he, he bottled the first start, then George decided to cause a red flag. He 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 took the lead on the next start, went wide for no reason, and lost the lead to Max. Then Max dies. He he gets the lead back and is slower than Leclerc, who has a damaged front wing. They swap them. Then the safety car comes out. He pits. He's the highest driver in the train that's on south. He just passes Leclerc and he just goes off and wins. He made a lot of mistakes for a guy that won a race. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad that he has a win. He's kind of just one of those guys you look at and it's like, are you going to win yet? Like, he did it. So, I'm, ugh. Fair play. Fair play. A win is a win. Who am I to, <laughs> who am I to say otherwise? 
It's a fair point. And I think for him, it was probably a little bit overdue as well. I agree. He's one of those drivers that you just look at and think, wait, he hasn't won a race yet. But now at least he has that under his belt. Joe Spagnoli, where the hell did Checo Perez come from? Because once again, I feel like he's one of those drivers that is capable of starting at the literal back and finding himself on the podium. How does he do it? And he also had a really bad start to the race. If you look at the first cra- uh, first start and all the chaos that it had, Perez was one of the drivers who had an absolutely abysmal run off the right-hand side of the grid. And when he came into the pits after the contact with Charles Leclerc, which I'll say again, was almost entirely his fault. He forces Leclerc off the road. I thought not just his race was over, but his championship was as well. That was the point after the retirement in Canada where I thought, well, Max is basically going to walk this. By the end of the race, ended up feeling pretty damn stupid because of it. Much like Carlos Sainz and a lot of other drivers, he benefited massively from that safety car period. But you've got to credit Sergio Perez for battling when he had to. That's some of the best wheel-to-wheel action I've seen from him for a long time. Very reminiscent of his sort of early McLaren days in 2013 and some of the best of him in the Sauber the year before. Another great performance. I would, Well, another good performance. I don't agree with him winning driver of the day at all. I think there are at least one Ferrari driver deserved it more than him. I would say two. Um, but yeah, overall, a good weekend gets him a little bit back into the championship hunt. But even so, the, the swing against Max is still only 12 points. I mean, if we're going to talk driver of the day, for me personally, I thought that was going to go to Lewis. I really, really did. I thought he had a fantastic drive. I see you shaking your head there, Joe. Ed Spencer, let's talk about Lewis Hamilton because he was on the podium after being in many, many different places up and down the grid during the race. How did you feel about his performance? I thought it was a good, solid performance from from Lewis. I think he definitely felt more comfortable with the Mercedes. And I think with the crowd behind him, I think he felt he was a little bit quicker. He will be disappointed not to be, you know, second or third, but I think he is a little lucky that Ferrari dropped an absolute stinker on the strategy. That's why he got a podium. But he was running well. He drove, you know, he had a good race and there's reasons to be definitely encouraged. And the move that he did on the rundown to the start finish straight was chef's kiss. I think we'll be looking at that in a few years and thinking, wow, that was bold as hell. But yeah, reasons to be optimistic for Mercedes although Austria may not suit them. So it's a double-edged sword. But Lewis can safely say that he drove really well. Now, looking at our Mr. Leclerc, our Monegasque friend, not the best day for him at all, finishing off the podium, perhaps being on the wrong end of the Ferrari strategy once again, a bit of a victim. Joe, it really wasn't his week, was it? It's funny you mentioned driver of the day a couple of minutes ago. I yet again voted for Leclerc, as I seem to do almost every weekend so far this year. This is another pod- um, another non-podium. He hasn't been on the podium since Miami. And it's nobody's fault other than Ferrari themselves. I was quite staggered by just how much he was able to stick on Sainz's gearbox, even with that broken wing. I actually think of all the drivers post-safety car, he was the most impressive. That car on those tyres and that wing had no business finishing in the top five. I'm very surprised he managed to keep Alonso behind. Some of the battling he did against Lewis in particular was incredible. That move around Lewis at Cops is the overtake of the season so far for me. And again, I kind of struggle to imagine anything beating it circumstantially. But I find it very funny, all the photos of like, Mattia Bonotto scolding him after the race. What right does Bonotto, Iñaki Rueda, or anyone at Ferrari have to criticise Charles Leclerc this weekend? Gets a good start, 
gets the absolute best out of a bad situation, which wasn't his fault. As I said, Paris shoved him off the road. That is the second year in a row for me where Charles Leclerc has been robbed of a British Grand Prix that he deserved. On this occasion, you can ask whether he deserved it more than Verstappen, and that's a very fair argument. But when in the last few races has a non-podium finish by Charles Leclerc been his fault? Very good point, very good point. I will say that I saw those pictures and I didn't necessarily think it looked like scolding. I thought he was kind of quite sternly trying to perk him up. I don't know. I maybe had a different take on it, but they were pictured going out for dinner in Monaco last night, I believe. So I think whatever did happen, they've patched it up and they've gone on a date and they seem to be feeling much better towards each other now. But now I have to come to you in turn about this one, about the man who spent most of the race on Lando Norris's tail, but certainly didn't finish there. It's Mr. Fernando Alonso in fifth place. How about that? I think he had a quiet race, a quiet but good race, which, you know, given his luck this season is probably exactly what he wants because he's had everything go wrong, man. Bahrain, Saudi, Australia. Imola, all these races where he's just had things go wrong. I think P5, especially a race where Ocon didn't score, is is very good for not just him but Alpine in general. Uh, he I, again, he cooks, man. He he's never believe he's forty the way he drives, man. Like last two wet qualifying sessions, he's been the guy that's kind of taken the biggest leap forward. And he did that again this weekend in qualifying. He made Q3 comfortably. He was Miles clear of Ocon this weekend. And P5, man, just much needed points on the board for Alonso. Indeed, indeed, indeed. But I'm going to stay with you because we're going to talk about that Mick Schumacher, Max Verstappen battle. Oh, dear. Number one, it is so nice to see Mick finally get some points on the board. And I personally found it very wholesome um, how proud Sebastian Vettel was of him. But that battle, I've seen mixed mixed reviews of that little Verstappen Schumacher battle a couple of people saying that he pushed him fully off the track a couple of times and that needs to be looked at and commenting on the uh, the Max Verstappen style of uh, if you don't yield I crash into you sort of driving what did you think about that back and forth did it just seem like good racing to you or did it seem a little bit uh, aggressive on Max's side perhaps well I don't know maybe I guess Max was quite aggressive. I mean, when is he never, you know? It's, it's very weird. I'm still on the fence about it. I don't know whether or not it's just proper hard racing or if Max kind of went overboard. I, I think, oof, I don't know. It, I think maybe both survived because it was Mick Schumacher specifically that was going for it. I feel like, I feel like if it was anybody else with more of a, you know, not that well in the head, it would have been a different kind of battle. I think if you had put Magnussen in that situation and put him up against Max, there would have been fireworks. But still on the fence, I really don't know. I've I've watched it a couple times, and I'm still not sure whether or not Max really went overboard or whether it was just good hard defending. It's, It's still in the air for me, so I'm not sure. But it was still fun to watch in the moment. Well, it's certainly something that's got F1 Twitter divided, that is for sure. But I think it's probably about time that we talked about the biggest upset event. What I don't really know what to call it of the race. And that obviously is Guan Yu Zhou's crash into the fence and the flipping of his car, which I wasn't actually close enough to see that. I was a couple of corners down. But that 
seeing the replays of it was very, very scary and seeing how close it was as well to the stands and seeing the people who were on that grandstand got, you know, sprayed with debris. It was that close. And that was, I think, quite a scary thing to see, guys. Um, Ed, I don't know what your thoughts are. You were a bit closer to it than me. I don't know how much you actually saw. But that was a, a pretty intense crash. And I think not one, not the type of crash that we expect to see anymore, given the safety regs. But obviously, thankfully, he is okay. Well, I was in the, the media centre for the start. And we just, because there's a window that it's cut, which shows the, the start from the straight, we, we watched it. And then all of a sudden, we went back to the monitors and we saw Joe roll over four or five times. And thankfully, the catch fencing did. It's job, or otherwise we would have had, we could have had multiple fatalities on our hands, uh, especially considering how close that car came into the crowd. I think it was just a racing incident, everyone jockeying for position, and unfortunately for 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 all involved, they they just got closed in, and unfortunately for Joe, it was a, a multiple flip. But thankfully, everyone was all right. The first thing that that I wanted to do is I wanted to check to see what the situation was with Guan Yu Zhou. I wanted to see if he was all right. And luckily I got confirmation pretty early from an Alfa Romeo representative. Um, and that's the main thing that both of them got out. Okay. And strength for these modern day Grand Prix cars is still very much intact. Um, but obviously there is a concern over the roll bar and that will need to be addressed for next time. Also in the F2 race, these sausage curbs. Near Roy, Dennis Hauger got wiped out by Roy Nassani, so that's another thing that needs to be looked at. But luckily, both, as I've said, Albon and Joe got out okay and will be back ready to go for this weekend. And Joe, what were your thoughts on Joe's crash? It it looked quite intense, but thankfully he did get out with very, very minimal injuries. It seems that Alex Albon is actually um, suffering a bit more post-race than Guan Yu Zhou is from the reports that we've seen but what did you think when you saw it? As horrifying as Zhou's accident was visually it doesn't surprise me at all that Albon's the one with more serious injuries if injuries at all because he's hit about four times in that melee and it's worth pointing out that yes this accident definitively took out three cars it involved at least seven those crash structures as brilliant as they are are only designed to work once and Albon's front end was impacted at least three times uh, one of which was into a concrete barrier, having been hit by Sebastian Vettel. So that doesn't really surprise me. With Guan Yu Zhou, as soon as the replays started showing the accident, I suspected that he would have been okay. However, thank goodness for the halo. That is the kind of crash where, in theory, the halo would actually make the matters worse because you've, it would be more difficult for you, by definition, to get out from behind the tyre barrier. But since the, the rollover hoop collapsed and the FIA need to investigate every car at this stage after something like that, the halo was the only thing between Guan Yu Zhou's head and being rubbed against the uh, rubbed against the gravel trap, which probably would have been a neck break at the very least, most likely a fatality. So yeah, not at all nice to see. I'm really glad that Channel 4 and all the major broadcasters pulled shots away from it until we knew f- for certain that he was okay. But yeah, um, obviously a, a lot of soul searching and investigation needs to go after this, and thank goodness he's okay. But it's just another race. Guan Yu Zhou is out qualified Valtteri Bottas three times in a row. Yet again, we haven't been able to see a great race performance from him. He actually, I feel like he's had some very bad luck this season. He's put in some really good performances and a lot of his DNFs and, and failures have not necessarily been his fault. So 
I do hope that we can actually see his full potential come through soon and that, you know, this bad luck, whatever it is, um, goes away, quite frankly, because I'd really love to see what he can do. And I agree about the uh, the TV cameras pulling shots as well. I feel like we learned a lot from, I believe it was Christian Eriksen in the Euros last year when he had that heart failure on the pitch and they were just showing it to millions of people on TV and there was all that backlash afterwards. I feel like a lot of networks have learned from that mistake and they've been much better at pulling shots until we know that the person involved is okay again, which I'm very, very pleased about. Um, In turn, your thoughts on Joe's crash and the aftermath. What did you think? Well, it was very scary in the moment, but I guess... I think once I watched the replays, because we were watching on F1 TV, so we were able to watch the different onboards, whether or not it was actually broadcasted. So we kind of investigated it ourselves. And we we realized that the, the crash was pretty bad. Obviously, it was pretty bad. But um, luckily, Joe sliding across the track, so to speak, would have kind of decreased the energy the further he went. So by the time he hit the barrier and the fence the impact wouldn't have been as hard. So luckily, you know, he's still walking. Luckily, he's still up on a boat. He was still in the paddock during the race, just walking around. I think he talked to Domenicali and all of that. So that was nice to see. We did also watch the, the crash from Albon's on board, and his crash was... It, it doesn't look as bad on TV, when you actually look at his onboard, you can see he takes like three big hits. He goes into the wall and he gets hit from one side from a crashed car and he gets hit from the other. It's, it's very bad. But unfortunately, the thing is like these things happen in F1. You know, it's not it's nothing you can predict. Stuff can just change in the blink of an eye. And that's what we saw. And it's, it's one of them reminders of just how dangerous the sport is. And when you watch F1, you kind of have to be prepared in the back of your mind for stuff like this to happen on any lap, much less lap one. So it's kind of a... A wake-up call for not just the fans, but the sport in general as it regards safety. So that's where that's where I'm at, at least. Well, once again, we are thankful for the halo. We hope that Albon is feeling better soon, obviously, and we're grateful that Joe is feeling as good as he is. And yeah, agreed, Joe. I think those cars need to be investigated ASAP uh, for safety reasons, and let's hope that the FIA do that with a quickness. But now it is time for everyone's favourite grid walk. It's time for Gossip Grid. Welcome to Gossip Grid, the part of the podcast where I impart unto you, dear listeners, the latest whispers flying around the paddock. Word on the grid is that part of the Ferrari staff initially refused to take part in the podium ceremony and team photo shoot after this weekend's race at Silverstone. Certain team members apparently weren't happy with the way the race went for a certain Monegas driver. However, this kind of divide down the garage won't help Ferrari as a unit moving forward if they have any hopes of winning a Constructors' Championship. Can they pull together and focus on the bigger picture? And now for the one we all saw coming, Red Bull and Porsche have apparently reached a deal for 2026, with the announcement possibly coming as soon as this weekend in Austria. This would mark an exciting new era for Red Bull. Will their success continue? That's all the gossip I have for you this week, dear listeners, but rest assured, my ears are always open. So, I'm going to come to you, Mr. Spagnoli, as I always do when we have any big Ferrari news. Thoughts on part of the Ferrari team initially refusing to take part in the podium ceremony and team photo shoot? 
It makes me ask myself, will Carlos Sainz ever have a normal podium in Formula 1? Bear in mind his first one, he had to retroactively go up to the podium afterwards because Hamilton's Brazil 2019 penalty wasn't applied until afterwards. And there was another one after that where there was a similar problem. So I'm, yeah, I'm just thinking, will Carlos Sainz ever be allowed to enjoy a ceremony with the whole team as per usual? But the idea of Ferrari having infighting and different factions within and arguments this is the Ferrari we all know and love. It's just, you know, this year they've reached all new levels of strategic incompetence. Um, I was explaining it to my father and uncle earlier today, and even they have not seen anything like this. And they've been watching Formula One for the lion's share of 50 years each. Mr. Spencer, Red Bull and Porsche for 2026. What do you think? It's likely to happen, but on my trolls around the paddock, I spotted... Uh... Um, Masashimi Yamamoto, who is on this big wig, who is on loan from Red Bull, having quite a chat with Helmut Marko. Could the reunion be back on? It's the question that I would be also asking myself. And, well, I wouldn't rule it out until the deal has been signed. Also, today, Yuri Vips um, is still part of the Red Bull Junior program. A source at Red Bull tells me and this is from a message that I received from the what earlier, saying that Yuri's contract has been terminated, but he is still part of the junior programme, and that they are supporting him as he drifts away from his connections at Red Bull. So the Yuri Vips saga takes another turn. In turn, thoughts on Yuri Vips keeping his position on the Red Bull Young Drivers Academy, because that, I think, is possibly quite a shocking turn of events. Uh, well, yeah, kind of. It was weird when I read it the first time because I was kind of confused because he isn't with them, but he still is at the same time. It's, it's very awkward. He's not... How do I put this? He isn't still funded by them, nor is he actually like a test or a reserve driver. I guess, if anything, they're just like... It's almost like they're giving him a place to stay until he like gets back on his feet or something like that. I'm still kind of confused as to his status, so I genuinely don't even know how to feel about it at the moment. But it's a weird situation. When I read it this morning, it was very weirdly worded, so I wasn't really sure what to make of it. I, I can't tell if... Because I know for a fact that he's not like with them anymore. He doesn't even have um the Red Bull overalls anymore when he's racing and stuff. So I know he's not actually a part of them anymore, but like the status still has me up in the air. So at the moment, I don't even know if I have an opinion on it yet, so... We'll come back to you when you do, my friend. We will come back to you when you do. But now it's time to leave the present and drift off into the past with looking back with Ed. Many races have been stopped early due to poor weather, but few have the drama that the 1975 Austrian Grand Prix had, as the Monza Gorilla, Vittorio Brambilla, won and spun in the rain. Here's the story of how the Monza Gorilla roared and then slipped to victory. Two weeks after tackling the infamous Nordschleife, Formula One moved to the just as fearsome Osterreich circuit for round 12 of the World Championship. A good crowd had turned up hoping that Niki Lauda could seal his first World Championship title. With a victory on home soil as Carlos Reutemann's title hopes rested on the Austria's Ferrari developing technical gremlins. Reutemann added to his workload by qualifying a length on the grid, whilst Lauda had secured his seventh pole position of the season, ahead of British sensation James Hunt in his Heskiff. 
Reigning world champion Emerson Fittipaldi started third ahead of Hans Joachim Stuck and Clay Reggett's owner with Carlos Pace salvaging some Brabham pride with sixth. But tragedy struck in the Sunday morning warm-up when Mark Donoghue suffered a tyre failure at the fast Voskugel right-hander, slamming through advertising hoardings and catch-fencing, killing a marshal, with Donoghue dying in hospital two days later after suffering a brain hemorrhage. Brian Henton and Wilson Fittipaldi wouldn't start either after practice crashes. But the show must go on, and in absolutely filthy conditions, Louder led the field through Vost Hugel, with Hunt being closely pursued by the fast-starting Patrick Depaye, who had moved up from seventh to third from seventh on the grid, as the field charged for a wall of thick spray. The field was quickly reduced to 24 when Mario Andretti threw his Parnelli off the road on lap one, with Bob Evans also out a lap later with engine failure. Up at the front, the Monza Gorilla Vittorio Bambilo in his orange march was charging through the pack, and he quickly moved up into the podium positions with an extremely bold move on Depaye into the fast ride Detoch Curva, as he went after Lauda and Hunt, who had broken away from the rest of the pack. Stuck's promising weekend ended in barrier on lap 10, with Jean-Pierre Jarrier and Joel Valtelin ending their races with technical failures. By lap 14, Hunt and Rambilo were gaining ground on Lauda, and on the run down to the Texaco Chicana, Hunt breezed by Lauda to take the lead, with Brambila taking second shortly after it. Two laps later, Brambila seized his opportunity and went with the lead, after gaining a little bit of help from debutant Brett Lunger, who was taking it easy in the notoriously difficult conditions. The Italian sell past Hunt to take the lead, as Hunt as both his and Lauda's cars continued to splutter. However, away from the exciting battle for the lead, the Grand Prix Drivers Association and the race organisers were in frequent negotiations, as they tried to stop the race due to the rapidly deteriorating conditions. And on lap 29, common sense prevailed. The race was brought to an end, with Brambilla taking his and March's first Grand Prix win. But just as the Italian hoisted his arms in celebration, the March's rear stepped out, slamming him into the barrier and damaging the car, much to the bemusement of the soaked crowd. With no restart, Brambilla clung on to his win and his half points ahead of Hunt and Tom Price, making him one of the oldest Grand Prix winners of all time, at 37. With Joachim Maas fourth, Ronnie Peterson fifth, and Lauda sixth, whose half a point put him one race away from taking the World Championship. One race later, Lauda wrapped up his maiden title in front of the euphoric Defosi at Monza, with the Austrian becoming a Ferrari legend during his four-year spell with the team as he overcame a near-fatal accident at the Norschleifer to take his second title in 1977. For Brambida, it would be his one and only victory, as a poor 1976 season started the decline of the Italian's Formula 1 career. Worse still, after suffering severe head injuries in a start-line crash at the 1978 Italian Grand Prix, which later killed Ronnie Peterson, his full-time F1 career came to an end, since a few cameo appearances for Alfa Romeo, before eventually calling end on his, on his racing career in 1980, setting up at F1 memorabilia shop in Milan. On the 26th of May 2001, whilst mowing his lawn at his house in Lesmo, Brambilla suffered a fatal heart attack, robbing the world of a charismatic and ultimately talented Grand Prix driver. Well, as usual, Ed, it's lovely to take a little walk down memory lane with you. And it does always make us more excited for our upcoming race as we are in Austria this weekend, obviously. But now, gentlemen, it is time for news of the week. Out of the past, into the present. And I'm going to start. 
And we're actually going to stay on a similar subject of Red Bull. I know we were talking about them a few minutes ago. Red Bull's helmet Marco has revealed that it has hired a psychologist to work with, quote, problem child Yuki Tsunoda to get his fiery temper under control. What a nice thing to reveal to the public. Thank you, Helmet. I'm sure Yuki's feeling very good about himself after that one. But let's go to Ed. Mr. Spencer, what is your news of the week? Well, the news of the week is coming from uh, the Telegraph's very esteemed F1 uh, correspondent, Eric Van Haren, who has said, who's given us a brief idea on what the season might look, 2023 calendar might look like next year. And with a rumour start, we were rumoured to be start the season on March 5th in Bahrain, but the French and Belgian Grand Prix will be dropped for the calendar. Monaco, however, stays. And that is a hum- huge shock, considering that running into the weekend, we we're almost reading the last right for the great race. So at the moment, it may be 23, 24 races. South Africa also might be coming back as well. It all depends on the COVID situation in China. If China doesn't feature, we will only have 23. If it does, we have 24. Very interesting. It's always nice to get a little sneak peek into next year's calendar. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mr. Spagnoli, what is your news of the week? Part of my news of the week is Ed Spencer unironically describing Monaco as a great race, which I fundamentally disagree with. But this is a a positive story from the weekend of motorsport, but not Formula One specifically. We had a packed support billing this weekend. Formula Two and Formula Three had full weekends with the the two races in each of them, full practice, qualifying everything, much of which was shown on F1 TV. However, the story was actually the series at the bottom of the pecking order, which was the W Series returning to Silverstone again. Jamie Chadwick running an absolutely dominant W Series GP victory again, because it's 2022. But over a million people watched that race live, which I find incredible, considering I don't actually know where you can watch the W Series live. And since 2014, that is the second most viewed motorsport event by UK audiences in any series. And I'm honestly trying to think what the one that had more viewing could be. I'm assuming a 
British MotoGP from one particular year. But that is genuinely staggering growth for a series that I personally have a lot of criticisms of, but people seem to be enjoying, despite the fact the same driver has so far won every race this season. Well, I personally watched it at the track and I thought it was fantastic. I do, I believe they show it on Sky Sports. I might be wrong on Sky F1. That is why, that's why I wouldn't know because I don't pay for TV subscriptions. There you go. I believe they do show it on Sky. But Mr. Unpaid Intern, I'm coming to you. What is your news of the week? Well, it's not really news, but as each Grand Prix weekend goes further and further, it means that we are closer and closer to the potential FP1 debut of Oscar Piastri. And this whole this whole rule, as it has as they've brought in recently, that says that you have to put young guys in the seat for an FP1 session at least twice for the year. The more and more the, the weekends go on, we realize how much closer we are to Piastri eventually doing an FP1 session for Alpine, which is expected, but it doesn't necessarily just have to be Alpine. He might even do one for Williams if, you know, they choose to. But it's made me just think about Piastri in general and how Latifi's weekend kind of makes me wonder, like, is this guy is this guy pulling the pin now? Has he realized that his time might be up and that he needs to step up? <clears throat> right? So I, I look at Latifi making Q3 and pretty much having a very good race overall, even though he didn't score any points. And I, I think to myself, what what can Latifi do? to potentially save his seat this season, if it's even possible at this point? Or is it set in stone already? Or is it like pretty much confirmed that Piastri is going to be taking over his seat come 2023, assuming Alpine keep their current lineup, which personally I think they will. So this isn't really news to me, but it's just something that picks my brain a lot. And I, I continue to think about it until I get confirmation. Well, in turn, I saw a tweet earlier and the accuracy of this tweet, obviously it's on Twitter. We have to take it with a grain of salt. But apparently if Alex Albon still has the degree of back pain that he has now at this weekend, they are hoping to replace him with Piastri. And if Alpine want to keep hold of Piastri, then they will use Nisani instead. That's what I saw on Twitter. So you might get to see Piastri in a Williams. I'm afraid, no. You might get to see it this weekend. I'm just saying. Uh, I'm just saying. Hang on a minute. Don't. Isn't, don't it was a tweet, so let's not to let's not take it as def- as bible. Here. It'll be kids, Roy Nassani. Does Nick DeFries not exist or something? <laughs> I feel like everyone's forgotten about Nick DeFries. Well, yeah, let me have a look. No, we we can't. No, there can't be a situation out there where Roy Nassani competes in a foot. No, not in my F1. Sorry. Now, especially not after what he did to Hauger. Are you are you kidding? No, there's no there's that would be the worst. That's what I'm the, thinking. He could get banned the, from a weekend a weekend in Formula Two. He gets banned and they stick him in the F one car instead. He gets, no, he gets no, rewarded no, no, no. with this. I mean, Formula E are off this week weekend. DeFries is free. You want him. I'd I'd well, sooner look. go for Logan Sargent. As inexperienced as he is, run me Sargent. Run me to F3, do somebody. No, no, we can't. No, 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 no. Society has gone past the need. We already had him in testing and FP1 sessions. We don't need him in no race. That's just a step too far, yeah? It was fun at the, it was fun at the start, but now, now we're going over into 
unexplainable territories. We cannot have Roy Nizani in his current state starting a Formula One Grand Prix. He's, he's not ready, and I don't know if he'll ever be. I don't know if he'll ever be. We all saw that F2 crash, right? Oh, my days. No, 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 no. No, he could have. We did, we hmm. did. Could have killed himself. You could see him getting... He could have gone. He could end up with pole position because everyone else would be too scared to get on track Ooh. with him. That that's a that's a real thing that could happen. But as you said, in turn, that would be unexplainable territory. So we are going to jump from the present back to the past again, as we love to do on the pod, and we're going to look at classic teams of F1 law with Joe Spagnoli. Between the high average speed, elevation, and threat of rain in the Styrian hills. The Austrian Grand Prix is one of the classic venues for a chaotic race. Surprise Austrian GP wins are a common factor with Joe's retro teams, with March in 1975 and Penske in 76, and this week he's made it a hat-trick with the winners from 1977, Shadow. Originating in the Can-Am series as Advanced Vehicle Systems, Don Nichols' imaginatively named team were the essential small 70s F1 outfit, even when they were racing sports cars. Their machines were quick, but unreliable, and sure enough, before the end of 1972, the same organisation was setting up an F1 team in the most exciting British town, Northampton. Shadow Racing Cars Incorporated took their name from the nomenclatures of their Can-Am machines, and with backing from Universal Oil Products and a car from XBRM designer Tony Southgate, the officially American team were on the grid by the third race of 1973 in South Africa. There was also a completely new team, Shadow, Jackie Oliver and George Fulmer, driving cars designed by XBRM designer Tony Southgate. The main team's duo of Jackie Oliver and George Fulmer, both migrating from Nichols' Can-Am effort, were quick off the mark, and at only their second race on the deadly streets of Montjuic, Spain, Fulmer came home as the last car on the lead lap, but third overall. It was an excellent finish for Fulmer and the new Shadow team, but they never really lived up to this early promise. As with all non-works teams, the Cosworth DFV had constant issues with reliability that all but destroyed Jackie Oliver's season. But a podium at Mossport was not only a fine end to his full-time F1 career, but aroused some genuine excitement about this fledgling team. And Shadow must have known this, as for 1974 they not only poached hotshot Pete Revson from McLaren, but gave a full-time seat to Frenchman Jean-Pierre Jarrier. Oliver and Fulmer had returned to Can-Am, which Shadow dominated before the series died for good midway through the year, but the Grand Prix team was soon hit with a tragic blow, as Revson was killed testing the new Shadow DN3 before South Africa. As the team went through replacements, Jarrier was establishing himself as one to watch. On the streets of Monte Carlo, the Frenchman put on a show by not only qualifying well, but harassing both of the leading Ferraris. Jarrier's first F1 podium was the highlight of a quiet sophomore season, and the team made little forward progress with new cars in 1975, aside from a plucky podium in the rain-shortened Austrian Grand Prix for Revson's eventual replacement, Tom Price. It's worth noting, though, that Shadow were remarkably stable for a team their size. 1976 would be Jarrier's third full season for the squad, and Welshman Price already had one and a half years in the car. It was perhaps this stability that saw them start the year brilliantly, with a podium of attrition for Price in Brazil. By now though, the oil money had disappeared and Shadow became not only a British team, but the first to ever change nationality. For 1977, Jarrier was gone, 
and it wasn't long before the long-serving price was taken from us far too soon at the South African Grand Prix. Shadow's lineup had been devastated, and their new hope came in the form of a young Australian by the name of Alan Jones. It didn't take long for Jones to work wonders though, and in a race of high attrition in Austria, he put himself in the shop window of every team in Formula 1. Well, having started in 14th place on the grid, the driver of the Shadow DN8 snatched victory before the eyes of all the favourites, and in particular in front of Nicky Lauda, who had to be content with second place on his home track. Jones, Lauda, in front of Stuck, Reutemann, Peterson and Mass. Winning from 14th on the grid, Jones was the story of late 1977, roaring up to 7th in the world driver's standings, but if only the last six races had been counted, he'd have been second behind champion Nicky Lauda. This form was incredible, and Shadow would have craved his services for 1978, but sure enough, he was gone, and Shadow would never score another F1 podium. If 1978 was frustrating, 79 was a disaster, as Shadow went just one race away from finishing the whole season pointless. For 1980, they were absorbed into Hong Kong's Theodore Racing, but a terrible ground effect car and lineup spelled the end. Theodore's owner Teddy Yip pulled funding before the year's halfway point, and that, as they say, was that. Coming out of that, I have some quick questions for all of you. Uh, Shannon, you're relatively new to Formula One by comparison to us. Had you heard that much about Shadow before hearing that? Borderline nothing, I'll be honest with you, Jerry. Okay, uh, unpaid intern, you are something of an F1 historian, although you don't want to be characterised as such. (laughs) Did you know an awful lot about Shadow prior to that? I I definitely knew they existed, but no, not that much, I won't lie. Ed Spencer, certified Formula One boomer and journalist, when you heard that I'd selected Shadow, were you at all excited? Um, I was more surprised, to be honest with you, but I think Shadow was worth a look at, you know, at some point because of the fact they had so many good drivers, Alan Jones, Tom Price, Elio De Angelis. It made sense to have a look as, at look at them, and also Jean-Pierre Jarry, I forgot to add on. So, yeah, good choice. Good choice, Joe. Although... Let's see what you can come up with for next week, because I know there's a certain anniversary coming up. Certain anniversary, but just coming out of this, this team literally won a race, and no one cares about them. Genuinely, they are a shadow in more than just name. There is basically not even the Wikipedia barely has any detail about this team that literally won a race and run a future world champion. The first F1 team ever to change nationality, all these weird trivia facts, and... Yeah, it's just, it's so unusual that there is just nothing about them. And producer Royfield, when I was trying to find video footage for you to use clips, even when Shadow did well, the commentators didn't mention them. It's like they never exist. I have never known a team from the past that has so little about them. I'm not kidding. This was harder to put together than the Osella piece you made me do. That's because they became arrows and then pres- and then did 20 odd years of nothingness. That, that, that's a fair point. And the only reason why I know about Shadow is, of course, because of the whole Arrows uh, connection. But I think one of the things about Shadow is they were relatively successful just before the real era of modern Formula One where Bernie Eccleston kind of like really takes over and monetizes the sport. Hence, there's more TV. They just happen to fall in, in between those cracks. Another classic team from, from the 50s or the 60s. They're not one of these backmarker teams from the 80s, where at least there's loads of footage, 
every race was then routinely filmed. They just fall in between those cracks. But yes, they, they excite no one's uh, passions at all, Shadow. I'll go back on mute. Well, gents, it's time for everyone's favourite part of the podcast, and that is Plonker of the Week. Mr. Spagnoli, I'm going to come to you first. Who is your Plonker of the Week? Straight talking, straight question, no messing around. Daniel Ricardo. what was that weekend? The only word that you can use to describe that performance, and it's the one that I share with the race's Ed Straw, baffling. There is no explanation in either qualifying or the race for just how far off the pace he was from Lando Norris. And as the season goes on, it's becoming increasingly apparent that Ricardo is off the pace at literally every kind of track there is. High-speed street circuit dedicated Formula One layout, former airfield layout and classic track at Silverstone. Where is the justification for this guy to keep his seat next year? This should have been a golden opportunity for him to have a good weekend, home Grand Prix for the team, and he fluffs it. Plonker of the week, for me, it's barely, it's not even close. Oh, facts, to be honest. Facts. Unpaid intern, Plonker of the week. First things first. Ricardo had car. I, I was gonna kill him, but then I remembered he actually had like DRS issues throughout the whole first half of the race. So I was like, you know what? What, what are you saying, Joe? Am I wrong? Pro- All right, I know he had DRS problems in the second half of the race. For for lack of DRS to be a problem, he would need to be in the vicinity of being able to overtake someone, which he wasn't, oh, despite man. having objectively a faster car than the horses in front of him. I'm I'm a I'm a lay him off, man. I I feel like maybe there've been other weekends where Ricardo's just been god awful, but this I don't feel like this is one of them. I feel like I feel like there's other external factors to blame. Who really let me down this week, man? Well, I'm, I'm I I feel like I should just give it to Russell because he bottled the top five streak. But now everyone's gonna change it. Oh no no, no I meant top five of races he finished. Nah, I don't care about that one, bro. He caused the lap one incident. I don't care what anybody says. He caused the crash. And he comes out of the car running to Joe to, to save his public image. Listen, man, the PR for... Let me tell you something, man. The PR for Russell this weekend has driven me insane. You know? Like, I respect him for doing it, but people acting like he saved Joe's life when he all he did was run up to the tire barriers and tell marshals that were already on their way to Joe to come to Joe. It's like, you did nothing. Don't, don't make it look like you did anything. This isn't Senna saving Comas' life. You did nothing. If anything, you put him there in the first place. It's like me running somebody over and being given a hero's medal because I stayed and called the cops. It's like, no. No, 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 no. He could have probably won this race or been on, in contention for the podium if he wasn't swiping across Gasly's... People tried to blame Gasly for that crash, you know? I couldn't believe it. People actually tried to... On the internet... Blame Gasly for the... I'm like, how is it Gasly's fault, bro? It can't be Gasly's fault. Russell Russell turned left. He hit Gasly, sent Joe to Narnia, went to Narnia to check how he was doing, realized he was all right. And now everyone's just praising this dude. And I'm like, yeah, it's still cool that he he checked on Joe. I'm, I'm, I'm not mad at that. But like, let's not act like he didn't put him there in the first place, bro. People were acting like he sacrificed his race to save Joe when his car had three wheels and irreparable floor damage. Like, come on, man. The PR kills me. And I'm co- this is coming from somebody that thought George wasn't really a PR merchant. But now, bro, I was so mad. That, all, that whole ordeal just made me so upset. I'm going to be the one to say it in turn. We have oh. missed you on the pod. We really, really have. Mr. Spencer, 
who is your plonker of the week? Right. So, it's not going to be the catering team. It's not going to be some random parking assistant who I plucked out of thin air. But we will have joint plonkers this weekend. Um, the first one is Stagecoach Bus for thinking it would be a good idea to stick one bus down to Milton Keynes every night. When there was lines of people waiting to go. Like, come on, really? Look, I know it's 80 quid for a cab, which isn't cheap. But come on, provide us two buses for crying out loud. I know the traffic's bad, but you could at least just have them lined up ready to go. It's not rocket science. And I would also say the Just Stop Oil people. Now look, lads and lasses, I sympathise with your cause. I understand the environment is in complete and utter shit. But protesting on a racetrack where you could have been basically cut in half? Really? That's... That's your way of protesting, not at the government's business buildings, not going mad at MPs who are actively in charge of this and, you know, causing this environmental damage by their policies. It's daft. And, you know, considering what happened at the start, they made themselves look like even bigger idiots. So, joint plunkers, stagecoach bus, and just stop oil. Do better, guys. I mean, to be honest, if they got run over, of course it's the I would have never forgotten what they were fighting for. So, you know, maybe they had something in mind, man. Maybe it would over, like, even if they did die. You know, like, I would... <sighs> what, is it? what they say? Them guys at the oil? Man, that would have been such a traumatic experience. I would, I would hate cooking oil, much less ground oil. That's crazy. They probably cooked, man. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's a fair point, intern. It's a very fair point. Producer Royfield, do you have a plonker of the week this week? No. No plonker of the week? All right, my, my plonker of the week. I'm going to concur with uh, with Joe here that I think Daniel Ricciardo's time in the sport is going to be up at the end of this season. I cannot see uh, where he's going to go next. His performance has been abject compared to uh, Norris. And they seem to be getting worse. And as Joe eloquently said, it doesn't matter what type of circuit, he's always fundamentally a second off the pace, off, off the pace of his teammates. He'll be sorely missed, but I can't see what team would want him. So, my plonker of the week this week, and I, I'm going to say it already, guys, I think we've got a clear winner here. My plonker of the week is also Daniel Ricciardo, because sitting where I was sitting... And watching him go round lap after lap behind Nicholas Latifi, showing no signs of catching him up, was bloody depressing. And I will say that of the of the other kind of papaya-wearing people around me, I noticed a distinct difference between the applause that Lando was getting and the applause that Daniel was getting. And it seems like a lot of McLaren fans are getting a little bit tired of it too because the applause was far less raucous for Daniel than it was for Lando. So I think the fans are sick of it. The team's probably sick of it. I'm a little bit sick of it. He had a good opportunity to do well this weekend and just seeing him not even be able to overtake a Williams, I'll I'll give him the Hasses because the Hasses did well this weekend. They ended up in the points and, you know, Schumacher was fighting with Verstappen. I'll, you know, I'll give him that, but... Nicholas Latifi? Come on. So, we do have a winner of Plonker of the Week this week. A clear winner. And it is the Honey Badger, Daniel Ricciardo. Do better, my friend. Do better. But, (laughs) 
think this is what we've missed in I just wanted to say before we you. end, um, word to Ferrari for surviving Clunker. I don't know. I thought one of y'all was going to call him. You know something? Not this time. This I don't is know very how they survive. This is very true. They, they've gone off lightly, but to be fair, in previous weeks, Joe has put them bang to right. I was considering putting Inyaki Rueda in again, but considering I'm very, I'm coming very close to literally applying for his job. I couldn't feasibly put him in again the second space in a month. Do it. I was do gonna, it. I was gonna, but, I, chaps. I was going to swing Lance Stroll in, but I thought better I think there's a, quite a few contenders this week, to be honest, and there are some people that have definitely got off lightly where we've prioritised. But, gents, thank you so much for being a part of this week's podcast. This is all we have time for. And ladies and gents who are listening, if you do want to get involved in the show, please do follow us on Twitter at race underscore directors or like us on Facebook at the Race Directors Podcast. Check us out on YouTube where we post some of our best bits as well. And do subscribe to us on whichever platform you choose to listen to the podcast on. We appreciate your support and we will see you next week to talk about the Austrian GP. Say goodnight, gentlemen. Bye-bye. The Verstappen fans are going to be unbearable next weekend. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to just be be shot. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.